Well, hello. Welcome along. My name's Dan. It must be that time of the week again. That time where we discover something new. This is the Fun Kids Science Weekly, the best show in the universe because it's the only podcast that takes you all around the universe and it's the one brave enough to discover the science secrets lurking about the place. This week, we'll chat about a book that makes stuff. It makes stuff on its own. It needs a little bit of your help, but you can actually invent things with it. Its author is Helen Bell. It's called The Extraordinary Book That Invents Itself. And you can hear all about the amazing stuff you can make at home. Lots of really simple inventions and really effective inventions are actually invented by very young people. So we want our readers to know that they too can be the future inventors and makers and scientists that we need. Also, we'll take a trip to Deep Space High with Professor Pulsar. He looks down on us here on planet Earth, finds out all about it. This week, we're learning about magnetic fields. Welcome to Norway and the Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights. These shimmering light displays are made by particles from the solar wind hitting the molecules high up in Earth's atmosphere. And I've got more of your questions this week. They are on skin... And cats and dogs and why they can be quite mean. There's all that. And a lot more. Let's spin around the solar system in the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Shall we kick things off then with your science in the news? The first ever satellite mission from the UK failed to launch last month because of a fuel filter problem. The Virgin Orbit rocket, which was carried from a jumbo jet in Cornwall last month, didn't quite make it to space. The plane did return safely. Now, the rocket didn't get there because the fuel filter had become dislodged, which meant the engine overheated and the power supply dropped. I really like the fact that when stuff goes wrong, experts are smart enough to figure out why it's happened, to fix it, to try and make it better next time. And I can't wait to see what happens uh, in the future, later this year, when Virgin Orbit tries to get another rocket into space. Also, Antarctic glaciers are more sensitive to heat than we thought. A survey way down south following the Thwaites Glacier, which we've heard a lot about on the show, hasn't given great findings. Now, this is a glacier, a huge chunk of ice that's the size of Britain. And when the sea warms up just a little bit underneath, it notices and it starts to melt. This is bad news because the sea temperatures at the moment are rising quite a lot. And when that ice melts, the water flows into the ocean, which means sea rises, which means sea rises, which means sea levels can rise all around the world and it can even destroy entire islands. It's very bad news and just shows us what's happening with the climate crisis and how we are still overusing greenhouse gases. And finally, a critically endangered primate has been bred in Europe for the first time. The baby Cockerel Sifaka is also known as the dancing lemur because of the way it moves. And a new one has been born in Chester Zoo here in the UK. This is important because there aren't many left. There are just seven in the U- there are just seven in Europe. Very few running wild. I've, I love the fact that with everything else going on in the world, there are people focusing their whole attention on rare, critically endangered species, lots you've never heard about, to try and boost their numbers in the wild. Brilliant idea and a brilliant news story. Are you ready to spin the wheel then? Let's give it a go in our series, The A to Z of Engineering. Every week for a few months now, we've been exploring the amazing world of making stuff. 
engineering, which goes brilliantly with the guest and her brand new book, which you can hear about in a little bit. We are going to Engineer Academy, exploring everything in the A to Z, from acoustics all the way to zoos, how things are made, who comes up with them and who builds them. In each episode, we catch up with our engineering expert, Engers, to spin the wheel and find out what letter we're looking at this week. Hello and welcome to another Engineering Academy, where we're exploring an A to Z of everything engineering. Let's spin the wheel and see where we're engineering today. Over to Engers to spin the wheel. It's G, and G is for garments. Thanks, Engers. Now, you might think that garments, that's the clothes we wear, might not have much to do with engineering. But like anything manufactured, they will have had a designer. Someone who will have made choices not only about the way they look, but which textiles are used to create them. And then there's the looms and other machinery that actually makes the garments. But that's a different type of engineer. It's those textiles that we're looking at today, which are created by textile engineers. Every type of textile has different properties, and knowing these properties as well as understanding how to create new textiles with new properties is part of an exciting branch of engineering. Let's find out more with Engers. Thanks. Put simply, textile engineering uses scientific and engineering principles to produce or improve textile products, not just for clothing, but for upholstery and even materials for medical devices. Textile engineers research and study fibres, yarn and fabrics to design quality products and determine new production techniques. They work in many areas of textile manufacturing, including research and development, production and quality control. As we know, engineering is all about solving problems. So the start of any project is to identify what problems may exist. Clothing for firefighters need a more heat-resistant fabric to keep them safe whilst an outdoor company might want to develop materials that provide barriers to insects, or even repel them. Once it has been decided what needs to be done, textile engineers might begin by researching existing materials to understand their properties, testing them to see how they stand up to the challenge in hand. It might be that with some small changes, existing materials can be used. But if existing materials aren't up to the job, engineers might develop new fibres using natural and or synthetic ingredients, manipulating them to create something new. When looking at ingredients, it's important to consider things like are they cost-effective and sustainable? As well as creating fibres to make new textiles, Engineers might look at new chemical processes that could be applied to the textiles to give them additional qualities, like being able to resist stains and odours, or to make them waterproof. If an engineer was looking to make clothing that repels insects, they might treat the textile with a chemical called permethrin. That's a synthetic form of a bug repellent produced naturally by chrysanthemums. The finished textile will also need careful testing, not only to see if it can stand up to the required purpose, but also to meet safety regulations, in particular that it's fireproof. Once a textile goes into production, other engineers might be involved to improve the manufacturing process, like to make more out of the material more quickly and efficiently. Quality control is also very important especially when materials are used by emergency services or in biomedical applications. 
Sometimes engineers will work with garment designers to figure out which materials work better together to solve particular problems. Perhaps to create layered wet weather clothing that wicks moisture away from the body or to create super warm sleeping bags. Textile engineering requires strong science, engineering and mathematical knowledge, as well as quite a lot of creative thinking to come up with new ways to combine existing fibres and textiles. But when everyone's talking about clothes made from a textile that you created, well, how cool's that? Thanks, Engers. And that's our take on the letter G. It's been great. If you'd like to check out some other types of engineering, why not check out gaming, gas, or geological engineering? Engineer Academy. Created with support from the Royal Academy of Engineering. If you would like to find out more about the A to Z, visit funkidslive.com slash engineer. We'll have another letter from the A to Z of engineering at the same time next week. Can't wait to catch up with Engers, see what he's got to show us then. Right now, let's get to some of your questions then. Now, I love this podcast. I love everything we do on the show. I got to say, this is my favourite bit. It's when you send over your questions to me. The best way is as a voice note at funkidslive.com. We've got a big button there which you can push to record yourself and your question. And then I get to look it up. I get to do all that science digging. Let's get our first one this week. Hi, it's Archie and I would like to know what skin is made of. Thank you very much for your question, Archie. What is skin made of? Well, skin is the largest organ in your body and it's living, it's regenerating, it's growing all of the time. It's made of cells, mostly, which themselves are made of water, proteins, fats and minerals. Now, the interesting bit, you have four layers of your skin. At the top, you have the epidermis. That's the the thin layer right at the top that protects you. Under that, you've got the dermis. Then you've got the subcutaneous tissue. And then that meets the muscle. Your skin protects your body from germs. It helps control how hot and cold you are. Also, it's full of nerves that help spot things that might be harmful to you. Maybe a bug that's caught on your skin. You'll instantly know where it is and if it might be dangerous. Also, it helps you tell what temperature your body's at so you can warm up, so you can chill down, and and that keeps you safe. Here's something amazing. You get new skin every 27 days. So every month, you've got a new version of you. The cells in the skin are always regenerating, Archie. Thank you so much for the question. Let's get one now from Noah, who sent this to me as a review over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, Noah, who wants to know, why do cats and dogs hate each other? I'm not sure about dogs. I've only got a cat, and I can tell you this, Tiggy the Terror Tabby hates absolutely everything. Now, the reasons why cats and dogs don't normally get along when you see them is because different species of animals behave aggressively towards each other in their natural environment. It's what they do. It's instinctive for them to show aggression, antagonism, dominance, fear and submission to say that this is their land and they are in charge. Cats and dogs are no different, even if they live together. Dogs, they will instinctively chase small animals. It's what they do. And when the cat then runs away, that's even more of a warning sign for the dog to chase them. The cat will run away because it thinks it's in danger. So it either flees or it starts to hiss at the dog. You might have seen that. Some cats even try and strike the animal with their claws and that can lead to a full-blown fight. The funny thing is, when the cat has hissed or when it has struck the dog, usually the dogs get quite scared. (laughs) That's 
classic dog, isn't it? Making out like they're big and butch, but actually they're a tiny little cuddly teddy bear under, under that big fur. And then after that, they could get on quite nicely. Noah, thank you for the question. That is kind of why cats and dogs can hate each other some of the time. Thank you for that. If you've got a question that you want answered on the show, I'd love to hear it. The best way is to leave it as a voice note for me. Get yourself to funkidslive.com or you can do it on the free Fun Kids app. We've got a big red button there. Give it a bash. Let me know your name so I can say hello and drop your question there. And I will feature it and answer it hopefully next week. This week for our Dangerous Dam, where we look at the most mean, cruel, wicked and amazing things in the universe, we are headed to the periodic table of elements to talk about phosphorus. Its chemical element number 15, its chemical symbol is a single P, and it's an essential part of life. When mixed with oxygen, it makes phosphates which make our bones and holds DNA together. How phosphorus was found, right, is incredible. Uh, Back in the day, a few hundred years ago, Henin Brandt was an alchemist. He would brew chemicals together to try and find gold. Now, he was... Listen to this. He was boiling his own wee that night to try and make gold. When it was boiled, he didn't discover gold, but he found a white, waxy solid. When the light went down, when it grew darker, he noticed that this waxy solid glowed an eerie green light. He called it phosphorus, which comes from the Greek word for light bearer. What is amazing, back then, when you wanted light, you would need to burn something, but this thing made light all on its own, so it became very popular, and it burns incredibly easily, so people would try to make matches from it. The problem there is spending a lot of time in a factory surrounded by phosphorus with no windows to open making matches it got very dangerous your teeth would fall out your jaw would swell with pus holes would open up around your mouth showing the bones beneath and you could barely ever recover if you managed to stay alive now this deadly reaction plus how bright white and green it can burn gives it the nickname the devil's element and for that alone, really, means the devil's element. Phosphorus needs to go straight onto our dangerous stand list. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. We've got something very exciting to talk about this week. It's a book that you can actually make things from properly. It's called The Extraordinary Book That Invents Itself. It's been made, written by Helen Bell and Dr. Alison Buxton. And Helen joins us on the show this week. Helen, thank you so much for being there. Hi, Dan. Thanks for inviting me on. It's really exciting. Just tell us, when was the very first idea that you and Alison had for a book that you could make stuff with the ideas that are in the book? Um, I think it was, um, it was it, we all we started with the book kind of near towards the end of lockdown. Um, so it was, I think when everything was closed, uh, there wasn't much going on. Um, and we came across the idea um, and we thought, what a fab way. We've been working with children um, with our organisation Steamworks for lots of years. So we're used to making, um, making projects and inspiring children to be inventors. And we just thought, what a fab way to reuse the pages of the book um, to actually use them as templates for children to actually cut out and make things that they can keep um, and use the book as they go. So it's a great way to recycle 
um, recycle the book too. So how does it work? If I open the book up and I find any random page, what might I see? What guides have I got to making? What type of things might I get to build? Okay, so each page of the book um, has some fantastic illustrations in there and lots of little bits of information about different inventions. Um, And on the page too, we have um, templates that children can cut out. So you cut out the templates and lots of instructions on how to fold and cut and stick to make each invention. Um, so you will you will always need glue and scissors. They're really kind of staples for each activity. But all the other things that you'll need will be things that you'll have lying around at home. So there's nothing there. That you don't need to buy anything to, to use the book. Um, everything you should be able to find at I find at home. So we have some fab activities in there. One of my favourites is um, an activity all about pulleys. So you get to make your own pulley. Um, it's a really good way to, to learn about how pulleys work, to lift weights. And then there are lots of ideas about how you could extend that activity and think about inventing your own um, simple machines to help with basic jobs. When you had the first idea, you were saying during lockdown, you were yeah. teaching about making things. Uh, what was the the first invention that you thought you could put in it? What was uh, going to be the opening one? Uh, the first one that we thought of, um, because we're over lockdown, um, we had to kind of adapt how we were um, working with children because obviously all the schools shut. Um, we couldn't go into schools anymore. Um, so what we started doing was creating virtual clubs where we would post out all the um, equipment that children would need to do a club and then make a video um, to show them how to do experiments and making projects. So it kind of started from there. Um and the, one of the first activities we thought of, which would be great in the book, um, was making a robotic hand. So we, it's an activity that we do a lot with children. We have our own robotic hands that we use um, to pick things up and children when they're learning about robotics. Um, but the robotic hand in the book is a really simple template that you can cut out, shows you how to make simple joints um, to make the hand move. Um, so, yeah, that was the, that was the first one that we came up with, with that we thought would work in the book really well. Uh, that's one. You've got 30 in here. How hard was it yeah. <laughs> finding all of these inventions? Well, like I say, lots of them are activities that we've done um, with children in the past. Uh, the challenge was trying to think of ways um, to adapt activities so that they would work on the page of a book. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so we had to think kind of which activities would, would, would lend themselves well to being able to sit on a page. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So lots we had probably we had probably had about 50 to 60 ideas and kind of whittled them down to the best 30. So there were lots that didn't make the final cut. <laughs> Just uh, we're here to talk about the book and the ones that are in it. But I'm interested in the ones that didn't make the cut, maybe because they were too tricky to do on a page. Uh, do you remember any of those? Any Anything that seemed like a brilliant invention, but you just couldn't make it work in a, yeah, a piece of paper? There was a couple where we thought um, there was one that was using um, a, a battery and an LED. And we thought um, we didn't want we didn't want to include that one, although it was it was good to fit on the page. But we wanted to make the book very inclusive so that everybody could do it no matter what access they had to different equipment. So we thought it might exclude people who couldn't um, go and buy a battery and an LED bulb. So we just thought we'd make all the activities very, very accessible for everybody, um, no matter what they had in the house, so they didn't have to buy anything extra for it. So I think that's that's one of the ways that we cut down the activities. And there are so many different 
inventions that you can tinker and test with. You can build a rocket or a code breaker and, and it, yeah. a bionic hand. And it seems amazing to me that you've managed to get us to build these things with just a few sheets of paper with some lines telling <laughs> yeah. us where to cut. How difficult was that? How tricky was it to take these massive ideas, huge inventions perhaps, and help us do it so easily? Well, it was lots of experimentation. <laughs> me and Alison, um, Alison at her house, um, my, me at my house in lockdown um, with paper, lots of practicing. Will this work? Will this work on a page this size? So it was lots of tinkering. And that's what we really encourage children to be good at tinkering and playing around with ideas until they get to they get to the one that really works. And that's exactly how we, we, we chose the activities for this book. Lots of playing around. <laughs> so it was fun. Uh, yeah. So lots, some, some of them took a lot, lots of um, attempts. Some of them were quite a bit easier, but yeah, that's how we did it. Just lots of playing and tinkering. And, and that's it's what all good inventors should do. <laughs> it's brilliant that we can play and we can tinker with the book, but how important is it going forward, like in the future, getting a job, uh, knowing a lot about STEM and about the fact that we can build and make stuff? Does it go wider than just being able to build st something from a book? Yes, definitely. And one of the most important um, parts on each page, you'll see a little box that says what next. So we've kind of, we introduce the ideas of different inventions and show how these can be made. But we also um, give little ideas that can inspire the readers to go on and test out similar ideas themselves. And we're hoping that but as they're tinkering and playing with new ideas that stem from the original idea, that maybe they'll spark a brand new invention themselves. So we want our readers to know that um, inventors can be any age. You don't have to be an adult to be an inventor. Um, lots of really simple inventions and really effective inventions are actually invented by very young people. So, for example, Earmuffs was a very young person. He was only 15. Um and he were, he decided his ears were cold when he was ice skating and decided to put two pieces of fur on a piece of wire to hold wow. hold the earmuffs onto his ears so they didn't fall off. So that was a 15-year-old called Chester Greenwood. So we want our readers to know that they, they too can be the future inventors and makers and scientists that we need in society. <laughs> it's always amazing when you've lived with inventions for such a long time and you take time out to think that they ever weren't there you, you know like earmuffs yeah, it seems like quite exactly. a simple idea a bit of wire <laughs> yeah. with and, and people just let their ears get cold uh, in your in your uh, experience of learning about different inventions i don't suppose you can remember any any others that just seemed so bafflingly simple to you and and that i don't suppose you remember any well, all, all inventions stem from a problem, don't they? So it's a problem that somebody's got that they want to solve. So another example of a young person inventing, um, George Nissen, um, who went to the circus and saw all these acrobats doing fab things and on the high wire and landing on these trampolines, thought to himself, that looks like loads of fun. I want to do that. So he decided to build his own smaller version of a trampoline in his backyard. Um, and then that became what we know now as the trampolines that we have for leisure now and just lots and lots of back gardens up and down the country. Um, he he invented that idea of a home tra a trampoline for children to play on. So that's a really simple idea too, that just 
it's just so popular now. And it, that came from a 16-year-old. Amazing. And you can make loads of inventions yourself in this brand new book, The Extraordinary Book That Invents Itself by Dr. Alison Buxton and Helen Bell. Helen, thank you so much for telling us about it. You're very welcome. It's lovely to speak to you today. Time to take a trip to Deep Space High. This is the smartest school in the solar system. Deep Space High, it floats around somewhere out there. We're not quite sure. We think it might be between Mercury and Jupiter. The thing is, Deep Space High, this big school in the universe, it's got a huge window that looks out slap bang on planet Earth and it knows everything about where we live. Every week we've been catching up with Professor Pulsar. He teaches there getting a lesson uh, all about our planet what makes it spin, what makes it tick. This week, it's all about the Earth's magnetic field and how it's different from other planets. Deep Space High, Earthwatch, with support from the Royal Astronomical Society. your scale X-trick out again. I bet you don't know how those cars stick to the track. Of course I do. It's magnets. Loads of toys have magnets, don't they? Certainly do, but magnets are a serious business. Did you know there's a massive magnetic field around the Earth? Um, yeah. The top of the field is near the North Pole, isn't it? Which is why all magnets point north. It's cooler than that, though. A planet's magnetic field forms a shield protecting its surface from tiny energetic charged particles coming from the sun and other places. Cool. Sounds like something a superhero would have. Never fear, Earthlings. I have my magnetic shields. Exactly. The sun's constantly sending particles out. They're called solar wind. But when they hit a magnetic field, they're deflected. You can see the effect for yourself. Uh, how can you see solar wind? It's just one of those weird invisible things, like gravity, isn't it? Ah, come with me. Welcome to Norway and the Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights. These shimmering light displays are made by particles from the solar wind hitting the molecules high up in Earth's atmosphere. Sometimes they look like waves, other times like spikes, and they come in all sorts of colours. Wow, beautiful greens and blues. But if a planet doesn't have a magnetic field, what happens? Well, they'd have to find some other way to stick things to the fridges. The biggest benefit of magnetism is life on a planet. Solar wind damages living things, you see. Can you remember what causes a magnetic field in the first place? Yes, it's the core of the planet, isn't it? Deep inside the Earth's core, hot iron flows generate an electrical current, and this in turn generates magnetism. So if a planet has a magnetic field, we know it has a moving iron core? Exactly. Or we can say that it's certainly very likely. It's tricky though because it has to be hot enough, big enough and flowing enough to create a magnetic field. The flow is faster if a planet is spinning more quickly. Slow planets don't build up enough speed for their own shield. Venus doesn't have a magnetic field, even though we know it's got a warm core. It's just too slow. One day on Venus is over 200 days on Earth. Mars is another planet that has a very weak magnetic field. It's spinning fast enough, but its core is thought to be solid. Nothing flowing there, so... No magnetic fields? So none of the planets have magnetic fields like us? Hey, I didn't say that. 
Jupiter has a huge magnetic field, not least because of its size and it spins super fast. One day is just 10 hours. Hey, I've got a great joke about Jupiter. Knock, knock. Who's there? Jupiter. Jupiter who? Jupiter, hurry up or you'll miss the bus. I think that's your worst one yet. That is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. If there is a science question you want answered on the podcast next week, the best way is to get to funkidslive.com or on our Fun Kids app and record it as a voice note. I will see it. I will do all the science digging. And then next week, I will tell you what's what and give it an answer. Now, if you've enjoyed some of the series today, we've had the A to Z of engineering and we've had Deep Space High. You can hear more of those on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. They're on the free Fun Kids app and at funkidslife.com. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com. <laughs>